comedy lost one of its all-time greats this week when Gilbert Gottfried passed away. So to reminisce about his greatness, particularly on the Stern Show, I wanted to get another old-school Stern Show devotee on the show to talk about it. So we're probably just going to spend a few minutes playing the Do You Remember This Bit game on the pod. So I wish for a better reason I'm happy to have back on the show Joe Sposto. How's it going, Joe? Mark, thank you very much for having me on. Again, of course, all things uh, considered coming on under these sort of circumstances, uh, you know, to to mourn, you know, one of the like most unique comedy voices, I'd say. Right. Like there is no other Gilbert. And that's the thing about him. You know, like there's so many comedians out there, you know, that you say like you say a Bob Saget, you say, you know, Louis Anderson, other people that have passed recently. But. Two guys come to mind so unique that you just say their first name. Obviously, one is, I would say, Norm, Norm MacDonald, and the other one is Gilbert. You don't even need to say the last name. It's just that's how ubiquitous they were as, like, comedic voices. Yeah, the other person, now you immediately say that, I would not put him in the same cat. I put him, like, one notch below, but I think you'd probably say bad about Bobcat. Yeah, but, you know, so that Bobcat has kind of faded. Well, I wouldn't say that he's faded. He's still doing stuff, but he's not doing the character, you know? Yeah. Um, like, even when he does his stand-up, it's more storytelling, which is, like, the L.A. way. He's more of, like, a documentarian and, and a filmmaker and stuff. Um, he's actually doing some really interesting stuff. You know, I am I still dabble through uh, Dana Gould. Uh, you know, that's, like, he's he's, like, my gateway to, like, uh, who's doing what or who's still around in comedy and stuff. Um, but, you know, uh, yeah, Gilbert was just, like, another guy who got his start. Like, he had his, I would say, what, his break was maybe, like, early 80s on that much maligned season of Saturday Night Live. And yeah. then he, he was just a consistently working comic. And everything else, as we might get into, uh, you know, for the last almost 30 plus years man well it's funny because if i sort of try to remember back like i was i would have been too young for that the infamous saturday night live season because i would have been 10 years old right so so the first thing that i remember was i guess it was an hbo special although we didn't have hbo so i'm not sure where they showed it <laughs> but like it was it's that 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 HBO special, probably, that, like, that's, like, on the set that has, like, the little mobile home behind him. And it's the one where he, like, does what we now know of, like, all of his classic bits and, like, does a bunch of those impressions that we now know are, like, sort of the hallmark of his act. You know, the Jackie Gleason in Casablanca, Elmer Fudd in Apocalypse Now, like, all of those bits are in that one special. And then... Like I then I probably started seeing him on on Letterman because I was probably watching Letterman by like eighty five eighty six, and then he's in Beverly Hills Cop two, and then I guess everything else sort of goes from there because that's like that's the first like big movie I think he was probably in without without having his IMDb up right now, but like and then you st you know then you know then the gates you know start flowing it's like. He's in the third base cack. He's in the, the the gas face video with third base, <laughs> and you know, and then it just goes from there. Then he's on up all night, and then he's on, you know, and then as we're, you know, and then and probably 
earlier than this, I'm listening to, you know, I started listening to Stern in like 85, 86, something like that, when he goes on in Philly, you know, and I think Gilbert's on at least, you know, 86, 87 by then. So that's probably where I, I, I to me, I know I'm best. And, you know, then you get cartoons and, you know, everything else that we'll, we'll, we'll probably mention later. But, you know, like I remember loving him even that early in his career when he was just one of the other guys because he was so different. Like, I don't know if he's as surreal as Stephen Wright, but I would put him in that Stephen Wright, Emo Phillips, Judy Chinuda category as like sort of oddball comedians of that era. And would you, and I'll, you know, would you consider Belzer, uh, Richard Belzer in that same group? Because I think that was like, his running crew as well, and then to a lesser extent, at least Penn Gillette, if not Penn and Teller, like that group of, you know, comedians. You know, we want to call Penn and Teller comedians, you know, magician yeah, see, comedians. Yeah, it's like yeah. Penn and Teller, I would think, are like their own thing. But yeah. I don't know. See, I would love Belzer, because I don't know how political Belzer was then but like Belzer I would to me I would associate Belzer more with like the like David Brenner type okay you know, like a very sort of New Yorker kind suave isn't necessarily the right word but like sort of erudite and certainly uh may have thought he was smarter than he really was kind of comedian you know because you know, especially for 85, 86, and obviously Belzer's already had hot properties and, you know, been dropped on his head by Hulk Hogan. I Sorry, I, you know, since, we, since you know, that was on Between the Sheets lately, it's fresh in my memory. Of course, yeah. So. Um, it, but I, I remember, so, you know, you mentioned Stern. You got into Stern way earlier than I did. And I, I would say, like, not even Beverly Hills Cop 2 so much, but I was an avid Mad Magazine reader. And they would do the movie parodies, and in the movie parody that they did for Beverly Hills Cop 2, you know, whoever the artist was, and I can't think of who it was at the top, off the top of my head, let's say Mort Drucker, okay? They drew Gilbert into the parody. And then, like, an issue or two later, Gilbert wrote in the Mad Magazine with a picture of himself holding up the picture of himself from the magazine, and they printed his letter, and they printed the thing, and, like, that's when I'm, like, starting to put together a little bit of who this guy was. And I didn't get to listen to Stern as much. Like, as a kid, a far too young kid, uh, on the summers, most of my uncles were truck drivers. And I would go on the road with them for, like, a, a week or whatever it was. And, you know, if you're a truck driver in the mid to late 80s, you're probably listening to Howard Stern when you're on the road. So I was 9 to 10 years old listening to Howard Stern, right? And then when we would go on school trips, um, you know, for elementary school and we would go to New York, I would bring a portable radio with me and headphones. And when we would get to New York, I'd get to listen to Howard Stern, right? Um, but yeah. it was the it was the Channel 9 show that were like re really Gilbert became like a presence in my life. See, it's funny because to me, I never think about the Channel 9 show because I was in college and we didn't get to, you know, I was in Indiana. So like we didn't see WR. So I didn't see WR until like I would come home for like the summer or for Christmas. 
So and and I had and I I also didn't get stern on the radio at that point. So yeah. it, it would be like, you know, I went off to college with like my box of like ten best of stern cassette tapes that I had made myself that I would listen to over and over again. And you know, I think one of them, if I remember, was probably like all Gilbert. Like uh-huh. I had like I had a tape that was like all Sternak, all song parodies, all like uh like Kennis, like stuff with Kennison, stuff you know, um, Pat Cooper, you know, like I like my own little best ofs. Yeah, I'm so we in the area that I'm in, uh, you know, northeastern Pennsylvania, Scranton, Wilkes-Barre, we were like a we were technically a B market, so we didn't really get stern until like '93 on a regular basis, and I had the same thing as well. I, I would like I would get up at six o'clock. I would start the tape. I would flip the tape, and my mom was an avid listener as well, so she knew what time it was to to flip the tapes and everything. And I would come home from school, and after doing my homework, and after you know delivering the paper and watching whatever was on at four o'clock on ESPN, I would go through those Stern tapes, and one I would cut out the commercials on one set of tapes. And then if there was good bits, as you mentioned, I'd have a Jackie tape. I'd have a Fred tape. I'd have a song parody tape. And then you have your Gilbert tape and your this one tape and whoever else was coming in. Uh, But I would just have like multiple like 90 minute cassette tapes. And I had a cassette tape player that would automatically switch it over from the A to the B side. Yeah, that's what. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I, I did pretty much the same thing. I would wake up at six turn the recorder on and then like i would leave now see i'm in high school and at this point i'm driving myself so you know i wait till the like 745 ish commercial so i'm like at the very end of the two-hour tape that i'm recording on so then i put in a fresh tape hit record and then go off to school so i get you know, from 7.45-ish to 9.45-ish. So, you know, I would lose, like, from the news on. And, like, who knows how long that would be. And then when I was a senior, uh, we had eight, because I live in the middle of the country, we only, we only had AP at one school in the county. So we all had to go to one high school in the morning for our AP class. Okay. But you were allowed, if you had a class there, first because uh, AP was second and third period. So if you had a class there, first period, or you had a class there, fourth period, you were allowed to drive yourself. So there were times where we would get out of class there to drive home and the show would still be on at like 11 o'clock. And we're like, oh my God, what must have happened today that they're still on the air? <laughs> and I mean, the good thing is that by that point, he was he was getting to the point where he was good at, if stuff really good happened like after 10 o'clock, they would often replay it in the six o'clock hour. Right. So you'd be like, you know, they come on after the first break and he'd be like, you know, this happened like after 10, 
and this was really crazy, so let's play a little bit of it. So you would get to, you would at least hear some of what you may have missed. But yeah, I, you know, it's, it's frightening that I probably still have them all here somewhere. I don't know if they would still work, but I'm sure like, like, I mean, it's like everything you can probably find online now, even it's like the, it's funny. I listen to some of those tapes and it's like, I enjoy the like mundane episodes where nothing happened more than like something famous, like, unless it's a really famous bit, but like, you know, I'd rather take a day of just doing the news than like some celebrity interview that I don't really care about. You know, unless it's something really weird, like something Jackie did or something Gary did, or like, you know, you get the day Baba Booey was created or Fred at the Rainbow Room, you know, like. Or Cookie Puss or. or yeah, like the top 10 famous events of the show. Yeah, and you have your. And I get what you're saying, like regarding the celebrities, because. There was a time, but then there were people that kind of crossed over from being celebrities to being show regulars, you know? Your Sam Kennisons, your Jessica Hans, uh, your people like that, that, you know, they were on all the time. Just whenever they were in town, they would be on. Or they'd call in, or like this person would come on to say something, so of course now the other party has to call in to, to dispute, you know? And those sometimes would run hours and then they wouldn't even get to the news or that would interrupt the news because Sam's on West Coast time and he's just waking up now at 10 o'clock our time uh, from whatever happened the night before to dispute whatever happened, you know. Um, But then like you have people like, you know, Rodney would come in or like it was always like the comedians were always the best guests. And it ended around back to Gilbert. I think that's why Gilbert worked so well, because he was local. He was always coming in to promote something, and he always delivered. I can't think of a Gilbert appearance that didn't deliver in some way, shape, or form. You never came in, and Gilbert left, and you're like, eh, that was just okay. It it was always memorable. Yeah, I'm sure there probably are. But obviously, when Gilbert has so many famous things that I'm sure we're getting ready to talk about, that, yeah, if there was a day where he was just okay or... You know, he did his routines, but like there wasn't any meat to, in the stories that they were talking about. And you're like, well, I'm glad Gilbert was there. You know, it's better than Gilbert not being there. Yes. But, you know, and then especially, I mean, this is probably first. It's like, you know, eventually once they once they hit on the idea of Dracula Godfrey. Yes. And, and you had and he's not just and then. You know, I mean, he was probably doing that from like, I mean, he was doing his impressions from the very beginning, but like, it may not have been until you had the E show where they started having Gilbert dress up like Bella Lugosi to do okay. his bits. Well, I want to say, took it to a whole new level. I know that you, you know, obviously you said you never really got a chance to see or like you don't have that memory of the Channel 9 show, but they had, and you know, and you go through the different periods of Howard, like, him and Sam Kennis are on the outs. So now they're in favor with Dice. Or now they're on the outs with Dice. So now they're back in with Sam, you know? So it was when Ford Fairlane came out. And on the Channel 9 show, they had Gilbert come in as Gilbert Dice Clay. And he's got the big jacket on. He's got the shades. He's got the cigarettes. And he's doing the Gilbert impression of Dice for the entire 45 minutes of airtime on the Channel 9 show. And, like, 
Robin's pissing herself dying. Jackie, of course, is laughing because he wrote a third of the lines. He's got to put his own shit over, you know? Everyone's just dying. And, like, the visual of this, of Gilbert, who, you know, was a small man in that giant leather jacket. Like, and he's got the mannerisms, and he's got the, the cadence. And then it just, and it gets to a point where he kind of runs out of material. And, and again, I say runs out of material, but this is what would happen with, like, Rabbi Godfrey as well where he's just saying nonsense, but he's doing it in the dice voice and cadence, and you're already pot committed at this point, so you're just along for the ride. Well, the funny thing with the dice bit, yeah, as a, if if nothing else was going on, he would just go, oh! Right. He would, go, and then, he, and he would start one of the limbricks. He's like, he goes, oh, mother, and that would be it. Or hickory dickory dock. Right. And then pretending to have the cigarette. Yes. But like I said, when it was the Channel 9 show, he had the cigarette. He had the whole thing. And then I remember them talking about it maybe like a week or two later that they really wanted Gilbert to light the cigarettes. But Gilbert wouldn't because, like, again, like, some people are very sensitive to cigarette smoke. And they're like, the bit won't work if you want to have the cigarettes lit. So if you go back and watch it, you see Gilbert like, intentionally trying, like, poorly to light the cigarettes. And, like, if he gets them lit, he's very quickly putting them out. So there's, like, all these layers to it, you know? But, yeah, so the Gilbert dice, but Dracula Godfrey, him being in the full vampire garb and going out in the streets of New York, like, mic'd up with a camera crew was was fantastic. Well, before we get to that, well, you are saying, I remember the time that I remember dice called into to yell at Howard. I think when Gilbert was there with <laughs> Gilbert, with Gilbert doing the dice voice at dice. And that was funny because then sometimes he would like drop the voice and just talk or dice would talk normally. Cause I guess how pissed he was. Yeah. Like it took him out of the bit and Gilbert, you know, and Gilbert is just, it's just, it's, I think something similar happened. One of the times when Seinfeld got mad at him. Like, I think at least once, I think it may have been after, to me, the famous one is when they left this, like, half-hour-long voicemail on, on Jerry's machine with Gilbert as Jerry. And well, that, of course, and that was all about the Shoshana Lowenstein stuff, too. And they were, so, and, you know, we talk about Howard and people being in and out of favor and stuff with him. And, you know, Howard today in 2022 is a very different person and, you know, all the different caveats that you could put to it. But, like, Howard was, like, a mean, vindictive person. And a lot of it, if you look at it, stems from him being snubbed by whoever the bigger celebrity is. Because when Jer- like when the Seinfeld Chronicles and Jerry's show was just starting, Jerry was on, like, all the time to promote the show. But once the show got big, Jerry didn't need Howard anymore. So Howard got pissed off and was always attacking him. And you mentioned about the Shoshana Lowenstein thing. And they would just have Gilbert do that. Like you mentioned the Seinfeld one of Gilbert doing the Seinfeld voice. But there was another time where I think they did it to Dennis Miller. And it was when Dennis Miller was doing the talk show. And the talk show was doing very poorly. And it wasn't Gilbert doing any voice. It was just Howard and Gilbert just mean calling up uh, uh, Dennis Miller and just leaving the meanest stuff on his voicemail. And like they were wild, man. And I think, like, Gilbert, like, in Gilbert's head, I'm sure it was like, this is all just part of the bit. This is all just part of the act. 
But I'm sure when Jerry Seinfeld calls him up, he's like, hey, man, I'm really pissed off at you. Like, Gilbert's like, all right, well, what do I do now, you know? Well, when you when you watch the clips of them talking about Seinfeld, like, years later, like, Seinfeld hated Gilbert's impression of him from when they were stand-ups in the early 80s. Yeah. So this, so this is not only Seinfeld annoyed at Stern for, you know, talking about his business on the air. It's also pecking this, like, 10-year-old nerve of Gilbert's impression, which Seinfeld didn't like at the time. So it's like, yeah, it's like, hey, I'm now, the, like, the biggest star on TV, and, like, he's, these guys are still making fun of me. So, yeah, that to me, that... To me, the Seinfeld stuff is like in the top five, like all of, if you put sort of lump all the different things together, like all the Seinfeld stuff to me is like in Gilbert's top five, along with Dracula Godfrey. But yes. to, to me, to me, number one, let's see if you agree. Number one with me for Gilbert is still arguing with Amy Heckerling's assistant. I was going to say, I hope you brought that up because that was one of those other ones where, you know, I mentioned with, you know, Gilbert and the Jerry Seinfeld thing and the Dennis Miller thing, uh, the Amy Heckerlin assistant one. It was it just got to a point where Gilbert is like, I'm committed, even though I know I've gone too far. And like everyone like you could feel he's gone too far. But Gilbert's only option is is to give up the bit, which he can never do, or, like, double down. And it's so uncomfortable. Like, it just goes on so long, and it just gets worse and worse and worse. And Gilbert does not stop. I'm definitely in my top five. Absolutely. The thing that I did not know. Now, I had forgotten, and we'll get to the, the podcast eventually. But I had forgotten Amy Heckerling was on the podcast. But I forgot to listen because I only found it. I, I found out that like an hour ago when I was Googling stuff and I was like, oh, she was on. But I don't remember if they talked about it. I'm sure they it's like they had to and they had to not talk about it. But I don't remember which was. But the thing that I did not know and not that I had forgotten, but I'm, I'm like doing a Google for this. And apparently Amy Heckerling's daughter has been on some podcast and talked about the time Gilbert and her mother's assistant did the thing on the Stern show. And I haven't listened to that yet. Oh my God. Like, but I'm like, cause, cause I was, when I was listening to part of this, apparently like it said, Amy Heckerling called into the Stern show. And, like, it starts off by saying Amy's mad at Gilbert because Gilbert called back later and said stuff to Amy's daughter, who's, like, 13. And, like, being blue when Gilbert, you know, which is funny because Gilbert wasn't blue. It's funny now for people to realize that Gilbert did not used to be blue. Right. Like, everything was, was clean. You know, stuff on Stern Show, you know, you always had to be creative. But, yeah, you know, to get around, because, you know, in the early days, they're on terrestrial radio, whatever, sure, sure. But, but yeah, he's like, Gilbert was, you know, saying all sorts of this nasty stuff to her, like, 13-year-old daughter, and I'm just like, oh, I forgot about this part, but, like, I I didn't really listen to it yet, but I was just like, oh, but that's Gilbert. 
you know, it's it's again, it's Gilbert's never apologize. You know, everything is written off as comedy. You know, which you know, eventually over the his career cost them a couple times. Right, right. Now you so uh, you know, obviously you mentioned Gilbert didn't really work blue, but there were times that he did, and it was more so, um, you know, in the comedy world where they would say that you were like you're going to walk the room, right? There's a famous story, and was it the Bangles that he opened for, or was it like one of the Bangles on a solo tour? This was like when. For whatever reason, like Bon Jovi's having Sam Kennison open for them. Uh, these guys are having Bobcat open for them. And some, you know, wizard, some marketing whiz decided, let's have Gilbert Gottfried open for the Bangles. Like, I could be wrong. It might have just been Susanna Hoffs on a solo tour or whatever it is. But Gilbert goes out there and then just does like all period and menstruation jokes for his set and like is getting booed off stage, but he's supposed to do 20 minutes and Gilbert is like, they're giving him the sign to go off and Gilbert's going to do his full set. And that's like a legendary, like not like they used to talk about on the Stern show, but like when Gilbert needed to, he would work blue. And I don't think it was until like the early two thousands where you started to see like a lot of that come through because Gilbert was kind of protective of the persona that he had because he could still be a wild comedian, but for the most part, he was in like children's stuff, whether it be like the Superboy TV show or the problem child movies or a voice of a bird in a cartoon. Um, so it wasn't, I think until like 2001, 2000 where he started to feel a bit more comfortable. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to let loose and like do the roasts and like let that stuff get out there that I am a wild person. Well, comedically, comedically. I mean, I don't know if this is doc if this is true or I just heard people sort of speculating, but it seems like it really was the aristocrats joke at the Hugh Hefner roast where that where like he crossed that line and never went back. Well and then and then you realize like like how famous that joke made Gilbert to like an entire you know, like probably an entirely different you know or people have been like, "Oh yeah, Gilbert, I remember him." But now suddenly it's like, "Yeah, doing the with the roast and all this stuff." But it's like, and then once the Aristocrats movie comes out, you know, then it just explodes again. And it's well, funny, be, you know. And again, he only did that because he was doing nine eleven jokes that bombed. Right. Pardon and, the pun. Well, and right. So I was gonna say I looked it up, and that was the thing where he like the. You know, they they talk about it and Artie and everybody else would always bust his balls about it was that it was less than a week after 9-11. It might have been like three or four days after the planes hit. And Gilbert tells a joke about they're not like he would have been to the he would have been here sooner, but there were no direct flights to New York. They all stopped at the World Trade Center. And like that was his opening joke at the Hugh Hefner roast. And you talk about killing a room, he did it. And then, as you mentioned, he does the aristocrat. That leads to Pendulette and Paul Provenza doing the documentary about it. And I think the documentary comes out like 05 or 06. And it's Gilbert's telling of that at the Hugh Hefner roast that like opens the documentary. 
And you know, it's funny to think about talking about Gilbert and Stern is that joke is like very reminiscent of like the joke Stern told when he was on the radio in Washington about the plane that hit the bridge, like during the snowstorm. Right. Where, you know, Stern called up and said, you know, like how much is the flight from, from national to the 14th street bridge or something like that. So it's, you know, and it's, so it's funny that like how that sort of those two things mirror each other. Yes. But yeah, but it's funny. It's, it is in a way it's still sort of funny to like, like if you watch the Gilbert documentary and you see him doing his act and it's just like so amazingly blue now. Oh yeah. You know, for when you're as old as we are, when you watch all the clean stuff that like, yes, you hear him curse all the time and he curses on the podcast and whatever. And it's like, but it's still funny to like, you know, he does one bit about, about Michael Douglas getting throat cancer from, Allegedly from having oral sex with Catherine Zeta-Jones or something like that. <laughs> Allegedly, yes. Allegedly. Yes. And then he goes on this long rant of like, cancer is a small price to pay for having oral <laughs> sex with Catherine Zeta-Jones. He's like, you know, I get Lou Gehrig's disease to have oral sex with Catherine Zeta-Jones. You know? I'd get muscular dystrophy and have Jerry Lewis come and do a telethon for me for the chance to have oral sex with Catherine Zeta Jones, blah, blah. And it goes on. And it's hilarious, but you're just still just like, and again, it's, you know, part of it is too, it's now he's like this little 60 year old comedian and is like very plain shirt and like his jeans. And now you watch the documentary and you learn that like he goes by bus to gigs. Like, oh. And saving all the hotel condiments and all these very weird OCD things that, like, in a way, aren't surprising and also just endear you even more to them. They – so, you know, and obviously we, we mentioned, uh, obviously, the tragedy of this. He left a wife and two young children. And I say young children, you know, he he kind of settled down. And not that he was, like, a crazy person, like, out partying, doing drugs or whatever it was. But Gilbert was just someone who, like, his entire life was work and having a social life or having, like, a decent anything was secondary. And I think his kids were are teenagers, you know, and um, yeah, and again, listen, I'm not they're 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 public figures. They've been on the podcast before. They're on social media, whatever. But like they're teenagers. You know, and Gilbert was an older father and he settled down and the times that you would see that little bit of Gilbert being like a real person was maybe like an earned, like it was great that they got that from their dad, but they also got like the silly part of their dad that we grew up with as well. And they got it, but they got so much more of like who the real Gilbert was and like to lose that, of course, and that being your father and everything else. And where I'm going with this is the documentary. There was those parts is when the word was getting out on the Stern show that Gilbert was now with Dara and Dara was making Gilbert get a real apartment and get real furniture and like do all these things to improve his actual life. Um, you know, they had joked in the past and I say joked, but different people, whether it had been Artie or whether it had been stuttering John or Penn Jillette, 
that had gone to Gilbert's apartment, they said like he had a bachelor's apartment. Like it was literally a TV on the floor and like a chair was all that, and a bed. Like that was all he had in his apartment. And like, then it escalates that he had lawn furniture in there. And you know, then he had like a cooler to put food in. He'd have a refrigerator. And like the story just rolls and rolls and rolls. But as interesting and fascinating as like the Gilbert character stuff, the humor stuff, just like the wild stuff, if you, Mark, or the listeners can find those episodes where they start grilling him on the air about like his personal life, and you could find like the e show versions or like the Howard TV versions or whatever, so you could see Gilbert squirming. It's just a fascinating look at who that person was and what that, you know, persona was. And to see like the cracks showing up in that persona and him trying to hold on to that comedic character was just fascinating. Well, that's also, if I'm right, like one of the first times on the, sh- on the, on the show where he would like, do his real voice. Yes. And you're like, oh, it's, he must really be serious. This is like the first time in 15 years I've ever heard, like, the non-Gilbert voice. Yes. Um, but I think there might have been a time, maybe, let's say, in the 80s or early 90s, where they played a voicemail that Gilbert had left in his real voice. And, like, Gilbert got, like, pissed off about it. Because, um, again, he was very protective of that persona that comedic character and everything else like that um and again i i don't know you know obviously you're you've been listening to the stern show way longer than i have uh you know our our timelines are just a little bit different were you listening in the serious days when him and Artie would literally hijack the news and it would just be them riffing for like two and a half three hours no because i only came i only started listening to the serious show I want to say, like, in the late 2000s, early teens, maybe. Mm-hmm. Because for the longest time, I only had X. I, I actually, I had XM instead of Sirius. Okay. So it was. I don't think I ever listened to Stern on satellite until the merger. Okay. So I mean, other than you know, like hearing bits and you know, because, like, you know, this. You know, like, I don't even know when YouTube became a thing. Yeah. That, like, you know, or you would hear bits and pieces. It's so funny to say to say that now. It's like, I don't remember when exactly YouTube started. But uh, Listen, I remember when YouTube was only 15 minutes at a time. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, so... it, was, it, was, it was less than uh, less than 11 years ago. Because, again, we were getting the, the rooms and stuff here in the house ready uh, for my son uh, you know, like moving the stuff out of one room into this room to set up his room. And I would just be putting clips of Howard on and it would be like 15 minute clips at a time. Cause that's all that YouTube would allow you to have at the time. See, we may have talked about this before at some point, but it's like, I ended up not really liking the serious show very much. And I don't know if it's because it was such a later time that like he had already started to mellow. Or because him being able to curse was less creative than the show used to be. Or that, again, this is because of when I listen to the show, that, like, I've never really been an arty guy on the show. You know what I mean? It's like I've always been, like, a Jackie and Jackie and Billy guy. Sure. So it's like I don't have 
like an affection for like that period of the show. To me, it was better to have the Stern show on Sirius so that I could listen to 101 and hear the old shows. Yes. Rather than actually listening to the new show. Because, again, you know, I'm listening from like, you know, 85 to 88 and then off and on until 95 and then 95 to 2000. So, you know, it's like those are the the times on the show that that I hold that are my fondest years. Whereas like 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 because there was like the times in the 90s, like I think I may have missed a lot of the time like Jackie was gone the first time. Okay. So it was weird that like that gap doesn't seem that big to me because I was missing the whole show. So it didn't really. So when he came back, I was like, oh, great. You know, in my mind, he wasn't really gone that long, even if he was. You know, and I don't think I heard a lot of when Billy was a permanent regular as opposed to just being there all the time, you know, frequently, but not every day. So, you know, it's just weird. So. Yeah, I it's so I like the serious era more for the repeats than for the new stuff. Of course, um, and obviously everyone has these different touch tones and stuff. I was definitely an Artie guy. I, I was a Jackie guy as well, but you know they did. And again, I I hate to say this, but they did like such a good smear job on Jackie after Jackie left the show, and then Jackie really had no outlet to rebut from. You know, it kind of painted Jackie in this negative light. And that's the thing. I've gone to see Jackie in concert, like, doing stand-up just as many times as I've gone to see Artie doing him. You know? Um, like, I, you could be a fan of both and enjoy both. Um, but there was just something I know. Not an Artie guy. Uh, you listen to Gilbert's podcast. Um, Artie had a podcast off and on here and there. But there was just something about the two of them. I think a lot of it was, even though Gilbert was a little bit older than Artie, they had like those old comedy references that they would get growing up from watching like WWOR or WPIX, like having that be your daily TV, you know, and they would have those same Abbott and Costello and weird, obscure, like, uh, uh, Officer Joe Bolton references and stuff, and they would play off each other so much because I think Howard would get some of Gilbert's references, but not all of them. And if like Ar- like already knew Gilbert wasn't a sports guy, but Gilbert he knew that Gilbert could do twenty minutes on the Pride of the Yankees movie that they did back in like the fifties or whatever it was, right? So yeah. I think they they just had like that little bit of a better relationship. And, you know, obviously when Gilbert passed, I, I I'm a hoarder of of media. Right. Um, you know, you talk about um, the the 101 stuff and I would listen to 101 stuff and it would be great to hear some of that older stuff come up. But I listened to it so much from having tapes of it. You know, we talked about growing up and we would set those tapes high school, going into college, whatever it was, I would be just as excited for two weeks of best of as I would yeah. be for live shows because there's a chance I'm going to hear something I haven't heard ever. 
And I would get so much stuff from those. And then the 101 stuff would come up. And I'm like, oh, that's a little bit different than the version I remember. And I would go and like by the time like 2006 or seven, I was in the midst of converting a lot of that stuff to, to, to you know, rudimentary MP3. And like it just became such a painstaking task. But it was stuff that I listened to so much. I'm like, oh, there's a weird edit here. There's a weird edit there. And you would start to see on like on Sirius and XM on the 101 stations, the best of stuff would start to get even or just as edited when they would do them on best ofs on terrestrial radio. No, it's funny. I I had that happen to me where I would I was hearing stuff and I'm like I would hear it and I go, that's not how I remember it. Uh-huh. Like it was like it was slightly different. Or when I recorded stuff live, it they picked up stuff like live in the studio that like they cleaned up. Like you, like when they would do song parodies and you would hear people talking in the background. Yes. Or like they would, or it was like, if it was like Fred or Jackie giving cues or something, but like you listen to it later and like it's gone. And I'm like, that's, that's not how I remember it. It's like, it's not, it's 95% how I remember it, but it's slightly different. And like, it, it would bug me. Yes. So there's one in particular. Um, and it's the, uh, Beetlejuice versus Gary, Battle of the Wits. Okay. I don't know if you've ever heard this. Gary and Beetlejuice are whack packers. Gary, I think they call him the Conqueror now. Oh, oh I was gonna say you don't mean you don't mean Bobo, you mean Gary yeah. the, the Gary the mentally challenged. Yes. So on the original airing of it, they do a bit where they ask Beetlejuice a question and he gets it wrong. And then they go and ask him the same question two more times in a row, okay? On the cleaned up, very clear digital version that was on XM, you could faintly hear in the background Jackie say, ask him the question again. And I'm like, what? And I, you know, you're going back and you're comparing like the original airing that was on terrestrial radio. And then you compare it to that like digital replay and you just hear so much more and I don't want to say that it ruins it. It's like it adds more times than not a worse element to things because now you're almost like hearing either the behind the curtain stuff like that of the people like whispering and giving Howard clues or, you know, cues or whatever it was behind the scenes. But even just like bits that kind of get chopped up or edited or, you know, change just for flow of the show or whatever it was, you know. One of the ones that that I came across recently when um when a little while ago when Ronnie Spector died I okay. went to find the Pitbull song that they did and like the version that is on YouTube is like slightly different than like the version that I had on tape from when she did it live in the studio. Right. Okay. And I'm like that's weird. Another one I remember I don't remember what, how, but one of the Rocky and Bullwinkle bits with June Foray, <laughs> I heard is funny just thinking about, but like the bit was like slight edited slightly differently when I heard it like on Sirius than like, and cause that's a bit that, you know, I've like, I could probably do off the top of my head because I heard it, but it was, it was like something at the very end when like Jessica Hahn shows up in the sketch. And like something is like very slightly different. I'm like, wait, it's not. 
how I remember it. But it was just, it's just enough to make me go, huh? And then, but like, again, 95% of it is, is right. It's just that little thing that made me go. Yep. It's, it's just, it's just, if, if you're someone who's like seen it or watched it or whatever it was, it's like no different than like you have seen a movie or a TV show so many times you videotaped it. You've watched that to death and then you see it again, like on the DVD release or you see it again in syndication and in syndication, that scene that's missing to fit the syndication commercial limit. You're like, that's not right. There's something wrong here, you know, or you, you see it on DVD and they'll clean something up a little bit, or they'll just put a deleted scene back in. Like it was nothing, you know, maybe in the original airing that scene was in there, but then in all the previous things, it wasn't there, but the version you saw had it missing. But I I think with sometimes the songs and again, we're off Gilbert, but again, that's how these things go. Sometimes with the songs, if they had more access to the artist, I know there were a couple times they did it where they would have them go back into the studio and kind of like re-record it to maybe get it cleaned up a little bit. Yeah, maybe that's, yeah. It didn't happen a lot, but it was a lot of times that it was someone who was like a regular friend of the show that was going to be there at the station all day. And they're like, Hey, come back around, just come into the thing. And could you lay this down one more time so we can get a clean version of it. And I remember them doing that where they would play like cleaned up versions of the songs as like bumpers or like, you know, when the show would start at six o'clock, sometimes the show would always start at six o'clock. It would start at like five fifty four, and they would play like six or seven minutes of bits before the show right. started, you know? And that was another great time because a lot of times when they would play a bit on the air, you got everyone commenting on it. You got everyone laughing over it. Sometimes you got Howard or somebody stopping it so they can comment on it. But then you would get a bit or a phone call or a whatever. And they would play it in that like first six to seven minutes of the show before the show starts. And you get a clean copy of that. And you got your tape roll at that time. Oh, it was like a different world, you know? You know, it's funny to talk about edits and stuff. The one and I did not know this until years and years later. And this is one of the few times where I think a TV edit is funnier than the original. In Blazing Saddles. <laughs> the first time you go to Rockridge, you have the town choir singing. You know, like uh, our fan town called Rockridge, blah, 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 blah. You know, and, and then it says all this stuff, da, 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 da. And then the song ends. They say, our town is turning into shit. Okay. On the, t- on the TV version, which is what I saw first and only saw for like years before, they're singing and they go, Our town is turning into. And then you hear the organ slam and it just goes, Wah. To me, that's funnier than actually saying the curse word. And so I'm like, I'm watching it the first time I ever saw, like, the, you know, like probably the first time I ever saw it on tape. You know, in like 1983, 1984, or whenever we got a VCR. And I'm watching it, and I'm like, what? And so, you know, there's a couple, of, you know, there's other edits in that movie. There's a lot of edits in that movie. But, you know, that was one of my first time I realized, like, a comedy thing where sometimes, like, not telling the joke is funnier than the joke. Or, like, the bleep can be funny, which is something, again, I learned from Stern. 
that the bleep can be funnier than actually saying the word or the euphemism is funnier than saying the word. You know, and certainly, you know, again, until Stern got to satellite, the show was nothing but euphemisms, pretty much. Yes, that'd be a lot more creative. And I think you had mentioned that's kind of why, um, you know, your feelings in regards to Sirius, where you can kind of get away with anything, you know? Yeah. Um, we should talk about some of the other Gilbert stuff, not just Stern. Um, I wrote this this week. I said, it's amazing how many different facets of pop culture Gilbert touched. We mentioned some of them. It's like, okay, he's on the Stern show, so he's, and he's a stand-up. He's on, t- he's, you know, he's on any number of TV shows that we can name. He was in Beverly Hills Cop 2. You know, and then, you know, Problem Child and all the other movies. You know, he's, he was in rap videos. You know, he's in thir- he was in Gas Face by Third Base. Basically sort of playing the same character that he played in Beverly Hills Cop 2. When he's the, he's the record executive of We Sell Records, which the way it's written makes it look like Weasel. So it's, it's a, like a double-layered joke in Gilbert being Gilbert. And then there's all the animated stuff. Well, yeah. he's also he's also in Ford Fairlane. He plays and, yeah. essentially Howard Stern in Ford Fairlane. Right. Uh, which is like just, you know, at the time it was interesting, but I just, you know, rewatched Ford Fairlane for the first time in I don't know how many years, maybe about three years ago. And like, first of all, the movie doesn't hold up, no surprise, but it's funny as hell. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, it's such a perfect time capsule of stuff. Um, but, you know, Gilbert would all, like, he was, uh, I would say, like, maybe his biggest thing was being the parrot in uh, Aladdin, Iago, right? I would say, if you if you look at mainstream stuff this week, a lot of it will say Gilbert Gottfried, comma, who played the parrot in Aladdin, comma, passed away. So that's certain. I mean, certainly being the sidekick in a Disney movie once Disney became Disney again. I mean, it'd be like now if Gilbert would have been in a Marvel movie. You know, it's like it's like that's now just what you do. Yes. You know, in the '60s, he would have been on the Batman TV show. You know, he would have been the Penguin. You know, or you know something like that. You know, in the in the eighties and nineties, you know, you'd be in the Disney cartoon, you know, now you're in a, mar- you're in a superhero movie. Cause it's the quote unquote, it's the thing adults can make that their kids can see them in. You know, that's always why people say, you know, why are you in a, why are you in a cartoon? Why, why did you do a kid's movie when you're a Shakespearean trained actor? You know, why are you in a Marvel movie? You know, besides the paychecks, it's like, well, my kids, you know, this is, you know, like De Niro said that, that about, no, Harvey Keitel said that about the movie with the parrot, whose title escapes me at the moment. But people are like, Harvey, uh, you're Harvey Keitel. Why are you making this kid's movie? He's like, I can't show my kids anything else I'm in. So, I mean, you know, that's. You know, so Gilbert did that. You know, obviously, we're comic book guys. We're probably talking about comics in a couple minutes. You know, Gilbert was... 
the perfect person to play Mr. Mixelplick in the Superman cartoons. Yes. You know, that's like, I don't know if it was, you know, Paul Dini or Bruce Tim or Andrew Romano who came up with the idea, but it's brilliant. And yeah, we mentioned, <clears throat> we mentioned he had been on the Superboy, this, the Superboy TV show in the 1990s playing a character named Nick Nick, who was kind of Mr. Mixoplick, but not Mr. Mixoplick. And then he wrote an episode, he wrote an issue of the Superboy comic book starring Nick Nick. So you have that. You have him being on Up All Night with Rhonda Shear. You have him, you know, and then commercials. You have him being the Affleck duck for, you know, however many years that was until he got fired for making the wrong joke and then had to apologize, which he then, you know, went on Stern and said, you know, they wrote the whole thing and I just read it. So. Well, I rem- and I remember after he lost the Affleck gig and that was for the, uh, he had made a joke about the tsunami uh, that, that like, you know, destroyed a bunch of stuff in Japan, like literally as it was happening on Twitter and he lost his job and it was maybe months later he came on Stern or somewhere to talk about it. And he had gotten word, you know, through the channels of casting and celebrities and so forth that in the casting call for whoever's going to be the new Affleck duck, they were looking for a Gilbert Gottfried type. So they were looking for a Gilbert soundalike to replace Gilbert when he lost that gig. I think that that stuff happens is more of, you know, I have a friend, um, Kevin Day, who's been on the podcast, who's a, a British comedy writer. Um, they they wanted him to audition for Ted Lasso to basically play himself, and he didn't get the part. <laughs> so <laughs> so that's a running joke on on their podcast now that they don't like any they don't like people bringing up Ted Lasso because they made him audition to play himself and then didn't pick him, which is a good story too. But yeah, that probably happens a lot more often in in showbiz than we know about. Get me a so and so type. You mean so and so? No, yeah. like them, but not them. So you know, and obviously, I want to mention here. You know, he's most notable for, um, you know, the voice of Iago from Aladdin. When you look at his IMDb, and I'm just scrolling through it, right? From the time that he does that voice, and you know, there there was issues where like, oh, this voice actor didn't come back. Very famously, Robin Williams didn't come back, and they had like Dan Castellaneta do uh, the genie's voice in two of the uh, Aladdin sequels or whatever it was. But from the time that he did that movie in 1992 or 1993 or whatever, anytime Iago showed up in anything, Gilbert was getting a paycheck because he was going to lay down those tracks. If it was for the video game, if it was for the cartoon that came out later, if it was for the Disney on Ice performance where they would have the characters, Gilbert went and laid new track down for that character. Because again, man, like you talk about like Disney wasn't Disney anymore and there was a period of time. People may not remember, like, late 70s, early 80s, Disney wasn't Disney, and it wasn't until, like, 92, 93 where they started to kind of get a little bit more cachet again, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I lived through the Fox and Hound uh, Great Mouse Detective era, so... Oh, yeah. It's, yeah, yeah, it's like, I think Little Mermaid is usually 
like where they say the Disney Renaissance began. So yeah, all that like you know, rescuers, rescuers down under, fox and hound. And then, you know, it's so bad that like people don't remember now like what was actually Disney and what was like a Disney knockoff like made by Don Bluth or somebody. Yeah, like, and it's, I, it's it's and, all it's all sort of in that miasma of time from that era. For for the youth of today, I'll say, because I have a ten year old and I have like nieces and nephews, and they just any animated thing that they see, they think it's Disney. Except for the minions. They know the minions are DreamWorks, but anything that comes up, it's like, oh, it's the new Disney movie. You know, if it's an animated thing, it just it's still it's back to being ingrained, and there's so many different studios putting stuff out. And like us as parents, we're like, eh, that's not Disney, so the quality might be a little suspect, you know? Well, as um, we all, as as you know from your other gig, like how often is stuff branded as World Wrestling Entertainment that is not from World Wrestling Entertainment? Well, you'll you'll get it on a poster so much um, where they're like former NXT superstar, former WWE superstar, former whatever, and like oh, they did dark match once or like. They were uh, they were security in a pull apart or whatever it was, you know. But like, oh, they were on TV. I guess you could call them that. That's just the way the world works. Well, the best part was, and I think this came up on Between the Sheets recently, where like there was some reference to like like somebody from WCW being on some CNN channel, and the CNN people called it WWF when it's yes. like. Hey, we own this company. Don't call it by the name of our competitor. But you know, it's it's like unfortunately, yeah, you know, like WWF became Kleenex and Xerox. Yeah. So, well, there's a you know there's a there's a world of that that I'm tangentially aware of, and I dare not get into the online feelings between current wrestling fans today. I'm just happy, uh, you know. I like what I like and I get to watch what I like and not be bothered too, too much. Uh, but Gilbert. Okay. I want to mention, we talked about him doing Jerry Seinfeld before, right? Uh, did you ever see uh, the Kevin Smith clerks animated series? Yes. I love the clerks cartoon. Yes. I, yeah. I have the DVDs of that. So, so Gilbert with the Jerry Seinfeld voice in that. And then him also doing the, doing Patrick Swayze. And he's just doing his normal Gilbert voices, Patrick Swayze was so goddamn funny. This, as I'm looking, I don't remember, but Gilbert was in one episode of Ren and Stimpy. Yes. So, okay. He was like an <laughs> elf or something? Yeah, Jerry the Belly Button Elf. <laughs> so you can just imagine what the recording studio, what the recording with him and Billy must have been like. Oh my God, like where's the B-roll of that? Um, but so another one, and another one that I want to mention, it is tangentially to, to Howard Stern is, uh, the FX show, son of the beach that Howard was like executive producer, right. On, right. And he would work like regulars and people that he was friendly with and like bits from the show on there. And if you remember, Gilbert got to do Rabbi Godfrey on there as like a lifeguard but then there was another episode where he gets bit by a vampire so he gets to do the dracula godfrey stuff on the tv show <laughs> yeah it's funny it's like just looking at this there's like especially cartoon stuff that i just do not 
I'm sure that I watched it at the time, but just like I do not remember him being in Duckman. Right. You know, it's like he was on an episode of Hercules. Yeah, he said Aladdin, Aladdin, Aladdin. Yeah. Lots of Aladdin, you know. <laughs> Mickey Mouse cartoons as a, the Kingdom Hearts video game right. as as Iago. So yeah, it's I, I as they say money for old rope. You do it when you can. Again, you know, you know, you get a Disney gig, it's for life as long as you don't mess up. And that's the thing. He, you know, technically you could make the argument like he's messed up, man. Like he had like dirty whatever out there. And, you know, whether the aristocrat thing or the controversy with, you know, the jokes about the tsunami in Japan, but like he was still doing it, man. And like, as you get later, and this is, you know, past my time as well, but he was like the voice of Krang in one of the iterations of the Ninja Turtles cartoons. Um, we talked about him being Mitz- Mr. Mitzelpidelik in the uh, Superman animated series, but he was also uh, Mitzelpidelik in the Batman Lego games. Like, I'm sure, like, I'm not sure if you're aware of that cottage industry of, like, lego yeah. a a property and turning it into a video game. In the Batman or the Superman or the joint ones or whatever it was, he's the voice of Mitzel Piddelick in those. And the one thing, too, that we sort of have touched on that I guess now would be the big question is. Do they could does Frank continue the podcast? You can't, it's like. It would be a great podcast with Frank and a guest, it, but it won't be the same. So no. You, so you wonder, is it better just to, like, do a couple where people come on to talk about Gilbert and then it ends? Or, you know, does it get repackaged somehow as, like, you know, with Frank doing that show, just with another host, but it's not, doesn't have the name on it anymore? So you really wonder, because it's funny that, that podcast is such like an important document of like classic Hollywood and classic yes. comedy that we're obviously sad that Gilbert's passed away, but it's like, we're now losing this incredible resource. I mean, again, you know, we're talking about wrestling. It's like, it's like when we see these wrestlers pass away, you know, if they, didn't write a book or didn't do podcasts or whatever, like all of these stories are gone. Right. So, so, you know, it's, you know, they occasionally talk about like when somebody, like when an older Hollywood star passes away, Frank will be like, we tried to get this guy for two years and we thought we were close. Or when somebody dies that has been on the show, it'll be like, we tried to get Gavin McLeod on the podcast for three years and we almost had him once and then it fell through. And then we finally had him on, you know, two years later or like the long chase they had to get John Aston on the podcast. Yeah. You know, so there's, you know, and there's all these stories that, you know, you know, Gavin McLeod may have done interviews where he talked about being Captain Stooping on the love boat and he talked about being on Mary Tyler Moore, and he may have even talked about being on McHale's Navy, but 
You know, did you hear when he was, did you hear stories about when he was in the B movies? Did you get to hear him talk about being big chicken on Hawaii Five-0? Like where else other right. than Gilbert's show would you hear people tell these stories? Exactly. And so I think, and this is one of those things, you know, Frank hasn't tweeted anything out. Um, I know the the podcast account had a bunch of tweets come out that were kind of um, like, I would assume like scheduled tweets. Cause they're just like, um, like here's like a birthday wish to someone here's our bonus episode and so on and so forth with no mention of Gilbert's passing. Right. Yeah. Cause they, they posted a repeat sometime this week. Yeah. That was, that came out after he passed away, but it was just like, Hey, in honor of blah, 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 blah. We're reposting this episode with blah, 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 blah. So, yeah, so, so yeah, Monday be... is usually when the new episodes come out, you know? And I would assume Monday is when we're going to get any sort of whatever, you know? Um, and I'm just looking here through the podcast social media. Um, okay. Uh, da, 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 Frank Dara, Outpouring of Love. I know you have a lot of questions. They have one last new unaired episode with Brenda Vaccaro that's going to be available next week. Uh, that was obviously recorded before Gilbert passed. Uh, they're going to continue to make the episodes available. The, in, the full archive is available blank. And I'll throw a caveat in here, right? So over the last couple months, there's been a lot of like spotty nature up and down with both Gilbert's main site and like the Gilbert podcast site site right so like sometimes i'd go there and get like malware notices and stuff so you know just beware is all i'm saying if you're going to those sites um so and then it says frank is taking time away with his family won't be able to answer any messages or participate in any social media uh he will return he wants you to know uh he's grateful uh for everyone's support if you've ordered any merchandise uh this was a business that was run by frank and his wife only so there's going to be a delay in processing that sort of thing. Um, so, you know, we've got at least two more episodes coming out that were recorded before Gilbert passed. Because I was wondering the one that most recently came out with Katrina Lockworth of You Must Remember This. Like, I was just trying to think to myself when that must have been recorded. You know, trying to look at, like, both shows' timelines and stuff. But one would have to assume that we're at least another if this with um, uh, Brenda Vicar was going to be two-parter. That's next Monday and the following Monday, so it's going to be at least another week before we get what I would assume would be the coda, you know, um, to whatever this is. And I would assume that Frank is going to do something on his own. He's built, like, this relationship up with all of these different people that he's gotten these old Hollywood stories with and these old Hollywood connections with and obviously it's going to be a different show, but I'm glad that there's still going to be a little bit more left, um, you know. And I'll and it's I hate to I, I hate to be that sort of person, but if you've never listened to the show or maybe you listen to the show and just kind of let it like go by the wayside, like go back and grab those archives. Go to go go to GilbertPodcast.com and type in whoever you can think of, and whether Gilbert was a guest or they were a guest or they came up in conversation, uh, you know, as, as Mark had mentioned about Gavin McLeod, but like even people that weren't on the show, you want a Paul Lynn story, 
Uh, you want a Cesar Romero story? All that stuff is on those shows, and they're all hilarious. You want to hear about Marlon Brando and Richard Pryor? <laughs> you have you have your choice. You have your choice of episodes where that's discussed. Oh my goodness! Oh, here, here's something. Uh, here's a here's a little here's a little quiz for you. I'm like looking all the way back at the beginning of the podcast archives. Do you know who like the first? say 10 guests were on the podcast some of them you will probably you would logically deduce but some of them are not well i I would have to assume that they were probably like your old you know your old maybe like borscht belt era comedians that were still alive and kicking but here you go number one dick cavett number two gianni russo who was in The Godfather? Okay, Larry Storch, and I saw. Who was it? Jeff Ross who made the joke that Gilbert's going to be mad that Larry Storch outlived him. <laughs> somebody, so somebody made that joke this week. Paul Schaefer, Marty Allen, Jeff Ross, Robert Osborne, Butch Patrick, Joe Franklin, Pendulette, and then eleven is Billy West. So I think that's a mixture of that's that's a great cross section of the kind of guests Gilbert would have for sure. Current, current comedian, old comedian, old TV show, obscure person. <laughs> and I remember Paul Schaefer when Paul Schaefer was on was a great guest. And Some I, of the, yeah, I think it was it, because like Paul Schaefer like got it, you know, like he got what the bit was. He got that, like, he was there to tell these old stories. Paul had been around long enough that he knew what stories he could tell without getting in trouble, you know? <laughs> but, but there's definitely, like, a couple that people should... Like, you know, we, we mentioned, like, Gilbert's love of, like, old monster movies, which is, like, the other thing that they would talk about. But, like, they, like I don't know if it was, like, yearly or frequently, like, Joe Dante would be on... And like Joe Dante and someone else would and, always be on every October. Yeah, and Rick Baker was on yes. a lot. And then he had, and then they would have like people's children on. So I, like I, Boris Karloff's son and Bella Lugosi's daughter, or vice versa. Right. Or, you know, and like, uh, like Groucho's granddaughter. And. I know there was one where like Chris Lemon and like Jack Klugman's sons were on to talk about the odd couple. And you know, it was like the anniversary of the odd couple. Yes, yes. You know, or you know, and like we said, Gavin McLeod and you know, because it's a personal favorite, you know, he had I think Bernie Capel was on at least once. And then I think when Bernie Capel was on, they had Barbara Feldon call in. Or vice versa, Barbara Feldon was on and Bernie Capel called in to talk about Get Smart. And so, you know, like all of these, like for people that like are my age and like slightly older, there's like all of these names from like my childhood or watching these people on Merv Griffin or Johnny Carson or whoever that like, like I said, it was so great that like, and Gilbert's long list of like obscure B actors that it's like, you know, anybody can do an impression of Jackie Gleason, 
but it's like, you know, who can do, well, one, who can do Georgie Jessel besides Billy West? But, you know, it's like these guys are like Sterling Holloway or, oh, what's that? Oh, God, now I forgot his name. But the the guy who was always like played a suit in the 60s who was bald, you know, and. Oh, I, you know, I, I know who you mean, but I can't think of his name either. Yes, yes. But that guy, like, you did an impression of that guy. And, you know, again, it's why nerds like us loved Gilbert because he was one of, like, you know, he was famous and a big star, but still a nerd and, like, proud of being a nerd. And that was the great thing about that podcast. And, you know, I'll, I'll also mention they had episodes they would do like these, you know, in the before they would do like the, the classic episode repeats, they would do like mini episodes that would be like 30 minutes or so. And they would be like a wide variety of topics where they would have a guest on and like Gilbert would just talk about like old cartoons from the 60s or they would have episodes on where you would call in and try to stump Gilbert with like TV or movie knowledge and you couldn't do it. It was impossible. But I'll tell you, they did a special where they put them all together. And, you know, there's there's no one I would say who loved singing more who was worse at it than Gilbert Gottfried. Okay? Oh, yeah. But there's an episode where Dick Van Dyke was on. And Gilbert asks him to sing, um, God damn, what the hell was it from Mary Poppins? Like, whatever his main song for oh um super uh super califragilistic expialidocious gilbert asks if they could sing it together as a duet and when dick van dyke says yes you hear a change in gilbert's voice and it's not the gilbert character and it's not the it's not the real gilbert like the the, the you know the the real gilbert coming through it's child gilbert like this was his like childhood dream to come true and he got to sing so many songs with so many people. And he was horrible at it. But you could hear it in his voice that he loved every second of it. And I know that they did a special within the last year where they took all those bits of all the times where Gilbert sang on the show with the person of the song that Gilbert would always butcher their song with. And it's just amazing stuff. Yeah, I would say the other thing uh, people should like probably go and look at their at their Patreon one, because it would probably be cool to give them, you know, a little bit right now and they could probably use it. But two, like there's probably all of that content. Again, the podcast, the free podcast will probably, you know, live on forever, either on YouTube or whatever. But, you know, sometimes a lot of times, you know, premium stuff is the stuff that goes away first. So people may want to say like throw five bucks for one month and then, go explore that humongous back catalog. Cause I think that's when they did a lot of listener stuff. If I remember right. Or the stuff when they, on the old version of the podcast, when it was less like it is now and was sort of a lot more esoteric. I think a lot of that stuff ended up on their, on their Patreon page. So people right. should, people should go look for that. And uh, because I had to look it up, uh, the person I'm talking about is John MacGyver. <laughs> the guy who kind of talks like this. 
Yeah, as I'm sure if if you know who it is, it's you know stern faced, big lip, bald guy, always in sixty. You know, so usually played a heavy or a businessman or something like that. You know who I'm talking about. But yeah, there's so much Gilbert out there that like this is definitely a time for people to embrace his memory and go back and listen to all this stuff. You know, I didn't realize until we were doing the prep for this that if you go to the right pages on YouTube, uh, that you can find over a hundred clips of Gilbert on the Stern show. And Stern said the other day, Gilbert had been on the show 122 times. I don't know if that's the record it's, it's up there, but there are certainly places on YouTube where you can find hundreds of Gilbert clips, including a bunch of the famous stuff that we talked about in this episode. So, yeah, so we can certainly say he may be gone, but he is certainly not forgotten. And and that's the thing, you know, that's one of the things that I worry about with the way the news cycle turns around and happens. And like, listen, I was sad when Bob Saget died. I was sad when Norm Macdonald died. Um, I was sad when Louis Anderson died and this Gilbert one just hits a lot differently, I think. And, you know, as a fan, um, as someone who sadly never got a chance to see him perform live, you know, it's, it's definitely, his memory is not going to be lost by millions and millions of people. And I'm going to do everything I can, uh, as one person to make sure, you know, that I never forget, like, what Gilbert kind of did for, you know, comedy in general, but also I would definitely say he's an influence on my sense of humor, you know? And I think if you grew up listening to him, and probably a lot of it was on the Howard Stern show, as Mark mentioned, um, you know, go back and revisit a lot of that stuff, you know? It was just, uh, he was a fearless performer, a crazy performer, um, and he just lived a quiet life and sadly, you know, is no longer with us. Yeah. For, he, he's certainly on my personal Mount Rushmore. It's like, I'm happy that I got to see George Carlin once, you know, even though it was, you know, in the mid two thousands in an amphitheater in the summer. And, you know, it's not the same as seeing him in a comedy club, but I did get to see him. I sadly never got to see Gilbert. You know, there's a couple other people. Yeah, you know, that I would probably put on that list, but those are like the first two on my list. And yeah, I'm I'm sorry too that I never got to see him. But yeah, luckily all these all this great stuff is still available to relive uh, and laugh again. Um, before we go, um, like I said, we we have all this other stuff we could talk about if we wanted, but uh, I don't want to keep you all night. But uh, I do want to give you a uh, chance to talk about Longbox Heroes. And we were talking before we started recording, and I said, there's not a great deal of new comics that I personally read right now. Um, The best book that I loved reading uh, from the big two just ended, and that's the Batman Scooby-Doo book, which I love for its sort of simplicity and lack of grim darkness. Um, I, I like the first two issues of that Kieran Gillen and Al Ewing wrote for the their two new X books. And hopefully sometime in the near future, we're going to have Paul O'Brien back on to talk about uh, the whole Hickman run and then maybe where this new direction is going uh, from the X office. But uh, what's what are you reading or uh, 
your compatriot and former guest, Todd. What what do you guys like right now that's on the market? Well, you know, in, we're definitely not these type of guys. I know Todd definitely isn't. I, I have my horror leanings. Um, but I would say that one of the best books that's being put out right now is by James Tinney and the fourth. Uh, it's called it's from, you know, whatever DC vertigo, black label, whatever it's called these days. Uh, nice house on the lake. Um, it's an end of the world tale, maybe aliens. There's a group of people that were chosen, uh, to be the survivors. And this is them kind of figuring out what's going on as they're isolated from the world. Um, someone that we're going to have on the show upcoming here shortly, Kyle Starks, who's known for his comedy stuff. He writes some of the funniest comedy stuff you'll ever, you'll ever read. And it's always comedy with like a little bit of a different panache to it. Comedy in a Western. That's a book called rock candy mountain comedy and nineties action movies. That's assassination nation comedy and eighties TV show. That's six sidekicks of trigger Keaton. He's doing a new book. That's a straightforward horror book. That's called, I hate this place. It's actually called fuck this place. But again, they're doing this two covers and we got a chance to preview it. It doesn't come out until the 18th of May. I check, I say, check that. But I would say to you, Mark, to check out from DC a book called One Star Squadron. Oh no, that 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 I am reading. Oh, okay. I, so I, you are reading that. I have mixed feelings about that. Oh, really? Well, I'm not the world's biggest Mark Russell fan. So a lot of his stuff I've I don't like to because he does a lot of or he has done a lot of nostalgia stuff. Sure. But it's been I don't like the tone of it. Um, cause he, I know he did, um, he did some of that Hanna-Barbera stuff at DC. Yes. That was not really to my taste. Um, so in a way, <clears throat> this is sort of like, I know this is, this, um, this is sort of like a weird amalgam to me of, like the Giffen to Mathis Justice League, but also kind of the Fraction and Libra Jimmy Olsen. Like if you sort of merge those two together. That's that I'd say that's a, a pretty good summation. Yeah. And I've liked it may, again, a lot of stuff I like mainly if they're reviving old characters that I that I'm happy to just see. Yeah. And are not totally being uh ruined either morally or physically like um i don't know about you guys but like like a lot of people i fell off the tom king bandwagon but like you know it was a guy who brought back the omega men and did something really interesting and then he did the vision which i thought was like the best book from the big two that year and then, you know, he got Batman and in the beginning was cool. And then I've just gradually lost my taste for his writing. And then Mr. Miracle is kind of good and also not good at the same time. And then, you know, I read the premise of Adam Strange and said, no, thank you. This is not what I want to read in Adam Strange. Okay. And, and I don't want to read and i read the premise of the human target book and i was like no thank you not for me i would be curious he's not here to talk about it but is is 
Todd being like the world's biggest given the math is Justice League fan that I know, is he reading Human Target? He's reading it and loving it. See, that's I'm that's a little surprising, just I guess given the way some of the characters in that book have been treated. But I, I mean, I don't know if he's just happy to see them. But I mean, you know, like certainly when I heard what happened to Guy Gardner, yes. I was like, I'm like knowing how much Todd loves Guy Gardner. Um, but so I've just sort of fallen off the King bandwagon. But so one one star squadron is kind of it's sort of like that, but not quite. But I'm I'm happy to see some of these characters. I'm happy to see a book sort of drawn in a clean, classic superhero style. I mean, one of the reasons I don't like a lot of the big two books is I just don't like the way art is done anymore. I don't know if it's the computer. I don't know if it's because people are doing it digitally as much or the coloring or the fact that people just don't do traditional page layouts anymore. But like, I find a lot of modern big two books kind of hard to read. In a way, it's sort of similar to how people have a hard time watching the WWF now because of the camera work. Okay. Do you know what I mean? I do. I do. Like, I have a friend who tried watching WrestleMania and had to turn it off because the camera cuts were giving him motion sickness. I could cert- I could absolutely see that if you are just now new coming back into the WWE product, uh, it's jarring to say the least. So that I kind of see that that with a lot of big two art that it's very pretty, but like I don't find it appealing to read. If that makes sense? Yeah. Now I I, I would throw this out. Um, Tom Taylor is doing. Uh, at DC, the Nightwing book, and has been doing it for a while with Bruno Redondo as the artist. And he's also doing Superman, Son of Kal-El, with, which is Jonathan Kent, and again, whatever it is with that. Um, but I think those two books are really strong. I think you would like those, but uh, they do such, and again, I, I'm, I say interesting stuff with the panel and page layout. Uh, they did an issue recently of the Nightwing book, maybe about three issues ago, where literally if you got every page and laid it out, it was one continuous image. Do you know what I'm trying to say? I've I've known I believe see if I remember right. I think I think Alan Moore did that. Okay. In an issue of Promethea because they turned it into a poster. Okay. So so that's I'm familiar with the concept. It's the kind of thing where yeah, I've I've read those before. It's it can be it can be off putting, or if it, if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't, and it's a case by case basis. Yeah, I, I definitely th- those are two very strong kind of self contained books, and the I other, know they're both in the Superman and Batman franchises and families and everything else like that. But they like but, I said they definitely do work as their own solo things, even when they do their crossover stuff. Uh, Tom King is good enough of a or Tom King, Tom Taylor is a good enough of a writer that he's able to make these things uh, be still self-contained without being completely ruined by whatever the crossover is. The other thing, since you mentioned the Batman and Superman books, I did really like Wade's first issue of World's Finest. Oh, yeah, definitely. I forgot about that. Like, that's very fresh and new. 
Um, it's, and that's it's so yeah, it's so funny to see Wade writing a DC book again. That like yes. it sort of it like went out of my head. But yeah, I'm glad I'm glad Wade's writing stuff at DC again. Right, and I would say um, as well with that book, you know, they they did a little bit of a push for it on their social media and stuff, and they did a little interview with Wade. Where Wade says, like, obviously the book is Batman Superman World's Finest, but it's actually Batman Superman and Robin. Because Robin is more or less the focal point of the book, or is going to be the focal point of the book. So that was very interesting to hear him, you know, say. Well, also also not surprising because World's Finest always did have the three of them. Right. Even though it was often just World's Finest with you know, certainly if you look at the Golden Age covers, it's always the three of them on the cover. So that's not that's not it's not a surprise. But, yeah, it's definitely glad I, I'm glad to see. Now, I don't know if you mentioned this before we started or not, but uh, are you reading the current Spider-Man books? I am. I'm I'm always going to read Spider-Man. Spider-Man's the book. Uh, like that was more or less my first comic book. And outside of a little piece of the J. Michael Straczynski run, I have a full and continuous run of amazing Spider-Man from like the two forties up to current. And there was a period of time, um, where I was trying to fill in like the prior two forties and I've got like some assorted cheap, uh, like stuff from the one hundreds and one seventies and, you know, not the best condition, but just to put in a box, you know? Um, and I know they're doing a new number one with amazing Spider-Man here in the next couple of weeks. Um, amazing Spider-Man is just going to be a book that I'm always going to read. I didn't love the most recent run with all the beyond corporation and like kind of a revisiting of Ben Riley and the spider clone stuff. Like it was serviceable, but it just very much felt like we need to churn out as many issues as we can. One, to get Peter to a certain point, and two, to have a new number one on the shelves to coincide with the 60th anniversary. Now, I kind of, I, I have mixed feelings about this, like this recent batch that they did, the, the Ben Riley stuff. Um, what did you think overall of like the whole Nick Spencer run? Because I know a lot of people that really soured on it at the end. I, so I liked it. I didn't, I liked it cause I like Nick Spencer's stuff. Um, as long as Nick Spencer doesn't get too, too political with his stuff in the big two, I commend him for trying to do so. Um, but he didn't do it here, which was great. Um, he, it felt as though he's like, there's Spider-Man stories that people don't like. And it's the stories that I don't like. And I'm going to do everything that I can to fix them. And I commend him for doing it. I commend his editors for allowing him to do it and to try to make sense of everything. But you're reminding me of the stories of Spider-Man that I don't like. If we just ignore them, then they didn't happen anymore. And now he's kind of put like whoever comes on next and next and next. You now not only have to deal with these bad stories from like the mid the late 2000s but now you also have to deal with Nick Spencer trying to retcon these stories so now you have to deal with them because they were just dealt with right before like the last big run before you're coming out of the book um I get why people didn't like it um it's not like I didn't like it I'm like yeah let's forget about these stories but we could forget about these stories by never mentioning them again and you know uh, and this may also be that by the fact that 
that book seemingly started becoming coming out more and more frequently. I don't know if it really was biweekly or thrice monthly the way it felt like sometimes it was thrice monthly, but it's like, this is a lot of this annoying bug guy, you know, who, you know, we eventually found out who it was, Yeah, but it was like, this is taking a long time to get there. And then once it got there, it was still really long. And then you said, yeah, we did not, did we need to bring up these, the, you know, the, the sins past stuff again. Yeah. Or Mephisto or yeah. It's like, can we just be done? With with this stuff, but I mean, to me, the best thing about this new stuff is like we got a new Jam to Mathis book, even if he's writing Ben Riley instead of Peter, Peter, and then whatever they're like. I don't know if like that book's now canceled or like whether Demathis is now going to be writing the new Ben Riley, for lack of a better term, whatever that I forget what his name was at the end of this last issue. Right, like the the glowing green guy. So I don't know if that's going to be the book, but like I'm at least glad we got to see Demathis write Spider Man for you know six months or whatever. And and as someone who just recently revisited the Spider Clone Saga for his podcast, uh, those Jam Demathis written issues of Amazing or whatever issues he would write were leaps and bounds, and they were like j- diamonds in the rough to say the least. Uh, of those stories and when he stopped doing stories during the spider clone saga it was a steep decline in any sort of enjoyment or making sense or any of it that does not surprise me no um before we go uh do you still are i am not watching any current wrestling so i will preface it by saying that i will only ask i don't know what you do or do not watch but I assume, sort of like me, you are happy to see many of the people you grew up with working with now on television uh, twice a week. Uh, certainly, certainly one Mr. Edward Kingston, probably most of all. Uh, you know, uh, to to say that's an under you know to say that is an understatement. You know, and not to date and timestamp when we're recording this, but as we're recording this, my phone is blowing up of people contacting me that on the the New Japan USA shows that they're doing, they just announced that they're doing Eddie uh, Kingston versus uh, Tomohiro Ishii coming up here in the near future. Um, Yeah, the fact that Eddie Kingston is a major television character on a weekly basis on a major television network that both you and I grew up watching wrestling on, and the fact that he is probably one of the most over characters that they put out there, like, it's one of those things that's like, man, people are like, can you believe that Eddie is this over? And I would say, yes, I can. I was there in 2004, 2005 watching those Chikara shows and that interaction and to see that, like, he always had it. He just needed that opportunity put in front of him and he got it. And he's amazing. And he's not the only one. A lot of the other guys, and I, listen, I, I follow WWE. I watch AEW. I try to follow everything that I can. Um, but there's just so much out there, especially with the indies now. There's so much indie stuff out there to take care of. And, like, then if you throw in international stuff, then if you throw in your MLWs, your NWAs, your impacts and everything else like that, like, I can't imagine anyone who follows everything. It's impossible. And the other answer is 
to follow none of it. Right. So, no, but I told somebody, I said, you know, I don't watch the, I don't watch the show or the promotion, but I said, I am happy that like a guy I saw in a firehouse in front of 50 people and was like personally yelled at, you know, <laughs> for, for, te- for, for, for teasing his pot belly and saying he had a girdle is now on national TV, you know, national TV and is a big star. It makes me very happy. For sure. Like I just got his uh, micro brawler in the mail today. Right. Uh, I pre-ordered his action figure, you know, his toys coming out this summer, you know, and like he might say he don't care about those sort of things, man. If you're a professional wrestler and you got a toy, that's pretty goddamn cool. You know? Well, especially if, you know, you had thought you had, like, reached the end of the line and, you know, had content to, be, you know, go back to the real world and then suddenly get pulled back in and now become a bigger star than you maybe ever thought you could actually right. could be is a cool thing. For sure. And that's a lot of those guys, whether it be, you know, OC, whether it be uh, Chuck Taylor, whether it be, you know, now Wheeler Yuta, who's, like, way on the younger end of things, who was like right after my time. So it was way after your time of following Chikar and the Indies and everything else like that. Um, but, you know, it's... Uh, so obviously you're not watching the current product. Are you watching any wrestling? I watch old stuff. Okay. I watch a lot. I watch lots and lots. I would say for, for people who listen to the podcast, like the podcast is mainly us talking about old stuff. When, sure. When people are on. So... I, you know, I always, I mean, this is sort of my attitude in general towards pop culture, that now that there is so much stuff available from, like, the last hundred years, let's say, of, like, modern, modern popular culture, that, like, I'm less interested in contemporary, like, why should I watch... WWF or AEW when I can now watch like from like 1980 to 1986 Mid-South that I couldn't watch as a kid when I started to become a fan or all of this Crockett or all of this world class or now or stuff that's like now being discovered that we thought was lost like you know like all this new Southeastern stuff that has just shown up that nobody knew existed I'd rather watch that with right. comic, like with comics, like I'm not particularly enamored with a lot of stuff from the big. T- I mean, I still read a lot of indie stuff, but like with the big two, it's like, why should I read four Batman books being pub, four b- grim dark Batman books that I don't personally like, when I can now go on Comicsology and like, re- you know, find like all of the detectives from like. When Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams reinvented Batman in like 1968 through like through Crisis and read O'Neill Adams Batman and Englehart Rogers Batman and all this or like and stuff that I never got to read when I was a kid because I couldn't afford back issues or they just weren't available or movies. It's like, you know, I have TCM. I can watch, you know, I can watch all of these Bowery Boys movies or all of these television shows I can watch, I can stream 
you know, the complete season of some random 1960s sitcom that I only read about. That interests me more than some current HBO show. But that's just me. Right. Uh, you know, so. And it, I, I and it's, it's so funny that you say this and it's so funny that you mentioned Mid-South specifically. Right. You know. I, I say there's people out there that don't like WWE for whatever reason. There's people out there that don't like AEW for whatever reason. And, like, maybe your reason is valid and maybe your reason is not, right? And why are you putting – if you don't like one show or the other show or both shows and you need wrestling in your life, and sometimes people just need wrestling in their life. I, I made the thing on my – the wrestling podcast that I do, at Odds with Wrestling. I said, you can go and watch – the entire run of 1981 to 1987, Mid-South into UWF, uh, Bill Watts Wrestling. That's 52 episodes. That's seven years worth of product. That's, you know, 44 minutes edited out for commercials. Like, I don't know how much time that is, but that could eat up, like, the next, like, three to four years of your life watching wrestling. If that's the only wrestling that you watch. And then maybe three years from now, WWF or AEW will be changed, and it'll be something that you like. And if it's not, you could go watch some old Crockett stuff. You can go find the Georgia Championship Wrestling stuff. You know, hell, you can go and watch, like, the 81 to 84 WWF stuff, if that's what you want to do. There's so much other stuff out there to fill that void in your life that instead of devoting three, five, ten hours a week to one or two or three or four shows of professional wrestling, it's the current product that you don't like and you know is just going to make you mad. That's why I, I say this all the time. It's like, you know, now that I'm in my 50s, it's like, and I, I mean, I said this before I was 50, but it's like life is too short to hate watch. When there's so much that you might like that wasn't available that is available now. And, you know, and, you know, you're slightly younger than me. So it's like, how old were you when you got the Internet? Uh, like a dedicated line in my home. Um, you know, I had Internet access in my like my senior year of high school and my first year of college. So that would have been like 95, but, 96. But in my home, I would have been 19. Well, close enough. But you grew up in the pre-Internet era. Yeah. So like me. You grew up reading books, and you would get, say, like Leonard Maltin's film review book or Roger Ebert's film review book, and you would read about all these Alfred Hitchcock movies, all these John Ford Westerns, but it's like, okay, maybe your video store had them. Maybe they somebody showed them on TV. You know, I mean... I didn't have cable until I went to college, so I didn't even have cable. So, you know, I didn't have AMC or HBO or, you know, the 15 channels that were available then. So it wasn't until, like, you know, I went to school and we had a film library. And then, you know, because it was the college town, we had good video stores. And so I learned and I read, and, you know, and I studied or whatever I had to watch for class or whatever. But it's like now it's like you you have to struggle to like find something moderately famous, say from like the golden age of Hollywood that is not streaming right now or not available for you to buy on DVD on Amazon. It's like you, 
stuff has to like be weirdly have some weird copyright restriction or something for you not be able to find it right now legally we're not even talking about like going in the dark web <laughs> and like getting a torrent of something or you know <clears throat> downloading illegal comics or whatever not even talking about that stuff that you can officially legally buy from comiXology or amazon or wherever so it's like why you know it's like find something you like like don't waste your time I'm going I hate raw so I'm going to watch all three hours of raw just so I can go on Twitter and complain about it nope you know I, or I, or <laughs> complain about it on my podcast no it's like I read about it and I'm like oh that sounds awful and then go on it's like thank god I don't watch this anymore you know it's like I probably haven't watched raw regularly in like 10 years you know what i mean i've like never watched you know an episode of AEW, which has gotten some of my friends mad at me because i don't support tony khan's project because he used to be on the death valley board with us and i'm like there's lots of people on that board that i hate <laughs> that i'm like like i'm not going to like you know go support them you know if you know, if there's somebody on there that I really don't like and they have a podcast, I'm not going to listen to it just because they're on the board. So just because he's one of us, quote unquote, doesn't mean that I have to support his product. You know, now, admittedly, me slightly younger than this probably would, you know, and this, you know, again, ties into my sort of uh, falling out. not my... My eyes being opened about Dave, you know what I mean? They they go hand in hand. I mean, I said this on the pod with Carl recently. And I was, you'll you'll laugh about this, but you may or may not agree. You know how people always say that the worst thing that happened to wrestling was Vince winning because Vince had the worst product. Sure, I mean you know Vergania side, but of all the people that could have won the wrestling war. Like, Vince was the worst person to win it because he had the worst actual in-ring product and character and storylines or whatever. You know, compared to compared to Crockett or compared to Watts or maybe even the Von Erichs. Part of me now thinks that, like, one of the worst things to happen to, to wrestling criticism is the fact that Dave Dave's preferences are now what became the accepted norm for wrestling. That like, like Japanese style, high spot style, not really liking comedy, not liking, you know, not liking muscle heads, not liking guys that quote unquote can't work. And like 30 years of being told that's the correct way to watch wrestling, I think has actually now been a detriment. And I think that's why you're starting to see such a weird backlash of people who like, <clears throat> again, I have nothing personal against Dave. Dave's always been nice to me. Dave and Dave let me in his house once to watch stuff. So I'm not, you know, I, I don't dislike Dave as a person, but it's like, you know, I would much rather watch, you know, if you gave me a 1983 episode of Memphis to watch, 
or some like 1990s All Japan, New Japan tape to watch. I'd rather watch Memphis. It's like it's easier to watch. It's you know, there's comedy, there's variety. Um, there there aren't five star matches, but it's like there's also storylines and character development, and people generally aren't going to end up crippled. You know that like do you find this now too that like you watch especially like a lot of Japanese stuff that it's now hard to watch because you know what's happened to all these guys? Uh, so I never was a huge Japanese wrestling watcher. The majority of the Japanese wrestling that I would watch would was like the 90s deathmatch stuff, like your FMW, IWA stuff. You know, your Terry Funk, your Cactus Jack, your that sort of stuff. So I was never like a Misawa, Jumbo, any of those guys matches. I've seen those matches and I, I appreciate them for like what they are for, you know, physicality and spectral and so on and so forth. And I know there's people that do like these whole story, you know, uh, telling videos of explaining what the backstory behind these rivalries are. But for the same reasons that you mentioned, like, I can go get a tape of old Memphis, or at least for me, you know, my Memphis was 1994 to 1997 ECW TV. You know, uh, is that the most enthralling um, five-star match, whatever type of wrestling in the world? No, but I, I enjoy it. I, I love it. it. It just, it's a special beat for me in my life. And I, I you know, I never was like, and I, I, I understand Dave and I respect Dave and everything that he's done. To, legit, to legitimize himself and to legitimize so many other people in wrestling journalism that the fact that that's an actual thing. But I learned a long, 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 long time ago that Dave's sensibilities for what he likes and considers a five-star match is very different from what my sensibilities are and what I consider a five-star match. I don't consider anything a five-star match. I either liked it or I didn't. You know, there's things that I like more, but, like, I don't sit here and assign star ratings to things that I like. You know, either I liked it or I didn't. And I'm not going to like the same things that you like, and you're not going to like the same things that I like. And that's what makes us a culture, and that's what makes us, you know, have these sort of discussions and conversations. And for you to say that there's friends of yours that are mad at you for not supporting AEW uh, because Tony Khan posted on the on the the Death Valley Driver message board is maybe the funniest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. <laughs> oh, it's like the subset of a subset of a subset. But again, it's like you know, it's you know, it's you know, I think somebody said you know he was one of us, and I'm like, well, self self loathing issues aside. It's like, you know, you know, there's lots of, you know, they, you know, they always say like, you know, the, th the, the thing where you're with some friends and they say, hey, you should meet X. He's a lot like you. And then you meet them and you can't stand them. <laughs> uh, yes. It's, it's sort of like that. It's also the same thing that like, you know, Phil's. Phil's number one rule is I hate the peep I hate the fans of the things I love. You know, because it's certainly true for wrestling, but I think it's true of sports and it's true of comic. You know, it's it's unfor it's the vocal minority that somehow tarnish 
the, either the other minorities or the majority. You know, certain, wrestling Twitter is certainly like that. You know, comics Twitter is certainly like that. And again, Twitter is Twitter. But I mean, you know, the, you had that. I'm sure you've had that happen when you're at a comic book convention. And when you see somebody who really is like the living example of the comic book guy from The Simpsons. And you're like, oh, my God, like he's like the worst stereotype come to life. And then you think, is this what my non-comic reading friends think I'm like? even though I'm not like that, or at least I like to think I'm not like that. So there's, there's, you know, there's probably some of that too. But I, I, I think we all have those sort of tendencies inside of us um, for better or for worse. And it's up to us as people with whatever fandom we're in, you know, the, the thing that we need, I, I feel is any sort of fandom and to kind of bring it all back around to Gilbert, whether it be comic books or wrestling or comedy or, you know, a, pers- a person like Gilbert Gottfried or whatever it is, you know, if someone is a fan and they don't like it for the same exact reasons that you do, as long as the reason that they like it isn't some sort of like weird, dark, depraved, sick thing, it doesn't matter if you start liking them a day ago, a year ago, or 15, 20, 30, 40 years ago. If you like the things that I like, Hopefully they'll continue to make more of the things that I like so I could buy the things that I like. And even further still, if you like wrestling, you don't like the wrestling I like, that's okay. Maybe you'll catch up to me one day or maybe I'll catch up to you one day and we'll meet somewhere in the middle. We can still talk wrestling as long as it doesn't get like personal or heated or, you know, whatever happens to a lot of people on social media or even in real life. But the world would just be easier if everyone liked the things that I liked. I know that's never going to happen. So I've learned to deal with it. True. Very true. So tell us, tell us about uh, your pods and your pod network and all those various things that you do. Yeah. So uh, just if you go to soon to be named network.com, uh, that is going to be a bunch of our my friends that all have podcasts. It's not a real network, but it's just kind of like a catch all. Whenever any of their shows go live or any of the folks from those shows go up, uh, they're going to appear over at Soon To Be Named Network. Uh, I do Longbox Heroes every week. It's a comic book show. Uh, we do a After Dark sort of show, which is just kind of like a catch-up, talking about like whatever's going on in the week that doesn't fit into the comic book show. There's a wrestling show. There's a politics show. Uh, there's a show that is an episode-by-episode watch of the TV show Wings that's on the network as well, if that's, uh, you know, what it is. Gilbert was on Wings before, wasn't he? I don't think they're up to those those episodes yet. Right. I think think, think when when we scroll through the IMDb, I think he was in, like, two or three episodes. Right. And uh, there's also, and this is another thing that Mark and I have in common, there's a Marvel Puzzle Quest podcast about the latest wheelings and dealings in the world of Marvel Puzzle Quest. Oh, speaking of which, do you... (laughs) Do you happen to know off the top of your head uh, where you are in the resupply rankings? Yes, I do. As a matter of fact, since I I recently this is frightening, I recently passed day three thousand in a row of playing this game. I'm sure you're you're probably either not far behind me or maybe even slightly ahead of me. 
No, I'm so there was a period of time very early on in my playing where I this was maybe about four phones ago. The phone I had definitely did not support Marvel Puzzle Quest. And it was constantly crashing. It was constantly giving me issues. It was constantly whatever. So I did have a lot of break days in there. Uh, but as of our discussion right now, uh, I am at day uh, 2934. So you are yeah. a little bit ahead of me, but I ain't much further behind you. I'm only about three months behind you. Yeah, I, and I had a thing where I think I played for like a month. And then something happened, and I missed a day or two, and I had to start over. So mine would be, like, slightly higher. Not a great deal higher, because I really don't know if it could actually be much higher. Because <laughs> I'm at I'm at 3,018. I think so, there was, at one point, when we were in one of the alliances, maybe when we were in the original alliance together. Right. There was somebody, I think, that was maybe, like, a month ahead of, ahead of me then. So I think, you know, that... They very well could be a day one player. So I don't remember who that was, but I know there was somebody in our circle, at least then, that was slightly ahead of me. So so I know there's there's someone on the forums, right, who currently has it tracked out, like, in-game uh, today, 3,104. Like, that's the day that they're currently on. Yeah, so that would be like two or three months ahead of where I am. Yes. I guess. So, but uh, so since we have been playing this game for eight or nine years, um, and it's still basically the same game, um, there've been a couple changes late. There've been a couple changes lately that I kind of like. Do you? Are you in generally still sort of feel it's at least worth playing every day if only for the 10 minutes to do your dailies. And that's about it. Since it's really not any different. There've been tweaks. Some of which are good. Some of which are bad. I, I play a little bit more than the 10 minutes a day. Um, you know, I'm still a full player. It's really the only video game that I play with any sort of regularity. Um, you know, at the beginnings of the pandemic, my kid had got animal crossing, which I had never played before. And I was kind of playing that very hot and heavy. Um, you know, my kid had got like, you know, I have a young child, so he's into Pokemon Go. He gets Pokemon Go. I get Pokemon Go. And it's, I use it as an excuse to get out, you know, to walk around when it's not bitter ass cold or pouring down rain, uh, around here. But, you know, I still, I like the new characters. I like some of the mechanics of, of some of the new characters, I like when a character gets introduced and everyone figures out how to exploit that character. And then about five characters down the line is now the character that nerfs the original character that everyone figured out, like, the power cheat for. Um, but I still, you know, like, I probably play maybe combined about an hour and a half a day. Um, it's a little bit easier for me since I work from home. I don't have to worry about, you know, whatever. And I could just kind of sit there and, like, mindlessly as my friend pete would say it's one of these pop and bubbles games uh it's essentially candy crush with marvel characters in it but it's like oh i like marvel characters i like candy crush i like pop and bubbles you know i'll play this yeah i think i i usually i play long enough per day to get all the challenges done like the daily challenges and then i may not play anymore like i may may or may not come back to it throughout the day like if it's an alliance event where I need to be playing, yeah, more often than I'll play all. You know, I'll play for 
15 to 20 minutes to like get all the nodes done for the next eight hours and then probably not come back until that resets and then, you know, do my due diligence as a member of our alliance to make sure that we all get our rewards like right. we're supposed to. But, you know, I, I will say that to me, yeah, the most interesting thing now is the every two or three weeks when, when the new character shows up and you're like, okay, like generally it's what new Marvel project is out right now. Like I think earlier this week, we got the new version of Moon Knight, which is yes. not a surprise. But, you know, there have been a couple lately where it's been like, you know, we earlier, uh, before we started talking, we were talking about uh, C and D level villains in comics. How exactly they ended up with Big Wheel in the game, I'm not 100% sure. Like, I, I figured, oh, he must be, like, showing up in, in the new book or something. And then he didn't. And I'm like, is he in something that I don't know about? I'm like, I'm not really complaining because it's kind of funny to, to have, like, a joke character. Like, you know, means I mean, there's hope for, like, Frogman showing up or Batrock. Well, again, there's there's people who will say, myself included, that Batrock showing up is not a joke character. Dead not serious. No, I know. I (laughs) gotta remember, I'm one of the people that say, (coughs) I'm one of the people that say any any character can be written to be formidable. I mean, you know, I'm one of the world's leading Pace Pot Pete fans because I know there's a way for you to write Pace Pot Pete credibly. And you mean you mean the Trapper? I, you can you can call you can call him the trapster. I think I think he's had a different. I think he had another name at one point, but I I still will lovingly call him Pace Pot Pete in whatever however he appears. But all I have to say is, if you read the issue of Captain America, which is like one hundred six or one hundred eight, where he pretty much has Cap beat, and only Cap only wins because Sharon Carter shows up to like help him otherwise pete would have won that that fight you know i mean certainly mark grunewald wrote batrock credibly like when he had his brief baby face turn you know and i guess you know you have george shape pierre playing him in a movie he's not going to be a joke character but you know i'm waiting for batrock or pete to show up in this game it's like you know that you know they don't go too obscure unless it's sort of like the joke April Fool's character. I mean, because that's when we got Howard. You know, Howard the Duck really isn't a joke character anymore. Because no, they, you know, when you show up in the Marvel movie, you're a little less jokey. But you know, the Howard the Duck Devil Dinosaur types. You know, I'm all for. Yeah, you know, so cer- certainly. Was- I'm glad. I'm glad we don't get every month. We don't get a new version of Wolverine or Spider Man anymore, like well, they did for a while. Right. So I'll you know I'll say this the the suit the you know the. The more and more stuff like this happens, the sooner this game just becomes Spider-Man Puzzle Quest, the happier I'll be. I get there's only so many versions of Spider-Man that you could do, but we're still, like, we haven't even touched the tip of the iceberg in regards to Spider-Man villains that should be in this game. Um, Big Wheel, I think someone thought of the tile-spinning mechanic as a power, and they're like, who could we find in the Marvel Universe that could spin or as a wheel or something? And that's how they came upon this character being in the game. But yeah, I'm sure, you know, being nerds, there are 10 people we could, I mean, other than who I just named, 
you know, there are 10 people who like arguably should be in this game that aren't. Yeah. The, the I mean, I'm a heel fan. So I, I am always going to say that the villains are woefully underrepresented in this game. Yes. But you know, I mean, you know, you've got doom, you got the goblin, you got Sandman, you got vulture, you got kingpin. So it's like, you're not missing a lot of the A-list villains. I'll, you know, in A-list villains, I'll argue and say there's no Hobgoblin in the game. True, but they, I don't know, he, I guess he really hasn't appeared lately. That's no, probably... but when was the last time Big Wheel appeared in something? No, no, I'm just saying, <laughs> I'm saying, like, if they were to reintroduce a version of the Hobgoblin in the current Spider-Man book, that would probably increase his chances of being in the game. Right. Or if he's in... I don't, well, I think there's going to be a new cartoon, because I'm sure he's not going to be... Well, he's probably not going to be in the next Spider-Man, whatever they do, since, you know, if it ended up being Sinister Six or whatever, because it seems like they... It's like they have their goblin, so... Although, I guess if... You know, we eventually get, you know, Pete's buddy turning into the Hobgoblin, as was sort of jokingly predicted in the in the movie. That, you know, maybe we could get that version of Hobgoblin. But I guess, yeah, probably the only A-list, I'm guessing the only the A-list villain that's not going to be in the game. I assume we're not we're never going to get the Red Skull in the game, probably. I'd assume not, no. Unless Well, was, you know. You can maybe I don't know. You can maybe get. Well, see, you could definitely get Arnim Zola in the game as like as the fourth as the Halloween. Because if you can have Modok, you can have Arnim Zola. Yes. So, but again, Modok had a cartoon or whatever the the Pat Oswalt show was. So, <coughs> yeah. But that's always interesting. The the who's going to like? You know, I was not expecting suddenly to have another one of the Runaways show up. You know, because they're kind of out of sight, out of mind. Although, I guess their book's still being published. But, you know, I mean, they're not really... I guess I would have expected to see more of them when the TV show was on. Right. So, I'm guessing probably soon... I guess whenever the Doctor Strange movie comes out, we'll get... I uh, Well, I guess we could get heel Doctor Strange as a character. The, the, the what-if Doctor Strange. Right, and again, I don't know how how much you want to like dip your toes in like movie spoilers for a movie that's not out yet. But there's uh, certain, yeah, there's there's any number of potential variant characters in that movie that I guess yes. could show up in the game. Yes, to, to say it that way. Yeah. So, um, thanks again, Joe. It's been a while. We'll have to make sure it's not as long. <laughs> Uh, for you, hopefully not just because not when somebody passes away, but something cool will happen. We'll have you back on. Right. So when like Eddie Kingston wins the G1 this year, we'll come on. We'll talk about it. You know, what's funny is as <laughs> funny is I don't know if this is still true, but I noticed in. I think it was. A recent between the sheets. Oh, no, it was something else where somebody had said Rick Rude was the only. American that's ever been in the G1 finals. I don't know if that's still true, but uh, yeah, so if Kingston makes it to the finals of G1, he would be one of the rare Americans to make it to the final of the G1. 
And I kind of get the feeling that, like, for Eddie, that, like, winning the G1 might be bigger than, like, actually being world champion. Knowing, knowing his, his, his Japanese fandom. I think being in it would be enough. Um, I think if any American was going to win it, it would probably be Moxley, if anyone. Um, you know, in a realistic sort of sense, but in a speaking with my heart sort of sense, obviously it would be Eddie, you know? Yep. And like I said, everybody check out Joe's podcasts uh, and we'll talk to everybody next time.